Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. It's good to see all of you here. I appreciate the spirit of worship that has been in this place today. There are times when I step to the pulpit that my heart uh, is overjoyed. There are times when you stand and your heart uh, bears a heavy load. And today that would be such a case. If you have your Bibles for a few moments this morning, I want to direct you to the book of Second Peter chapter 2. I fear to preach this morning for lack of understanding all that I need to understand, but maybe somehow my burden can get through to you. I believe we live in a very critical hour. I don't want to be negative, but I am certain that we live in the very closing moments of time. I believe the rapture of the church is going to come very soon, very soon. As a matter of fact, I don't know much about prophecy that does, would, would still need to be fulfilled for the Lord to call his church home. That's how close we are. And so today, I stand here with that in my mind. I do want to be saved. Amen. Anybody here interested in being saved? Praise God. This world is not my home. I am just passing through. And I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords to hope. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 7. The Bible said, In delivered just lot, or righteous lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. I want you to underline the word vexed. Grieved, tormented, troubled. With the filthy conversation or manner of life of the wicked. For that righteous man... Dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Underscore three words, dwelling among them. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning about the price of living in Sodom. The price of living in Sodom. Our young people are going to slip out as we pray to their class. Reach over and grab somebody by the hand and let's pray together right now. Lord, I need your help. We need your blessings and your anointing upon this service today. And I pray, God, that you would open the minds and the hearts of people in this building, that we would be stirred. The presence of God would be made real in our life today, that we would be brought back face to face with the things that really matter. Give me, Lord, the mind of the Spirit. Give me a tongue, Lord, that is anointed of your Spirit today to speak those words that are needed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If, if you would permit me, I, I just I want to reread chapter 
2 of Second Peter, verse 7 and 8 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The translation uh, gives a little different perspective of those verses that we read. But the Holman Christian Standard Bible reads like this. It says, and if he res- rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. For as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. There is something about this text that is very sobering. It is not only sobering, but it is thought-provoking. When I read it, I, I almost have to stop and ask myself if I understood what I just read. Because the Scripture does call Lot just. In the Greek, it's righteous. He was a man who had certain influences in his life that should have made a difference, that should have had some kind of implication on the outcome of his life. And yet because of the atmosphere in which he lived and what he allowed that atmosphere to do to him, it gives us one of the most tragic stories of Scripture. How could... This man let this happen. How could a righteous man, a man who has godly influences in his life and on his life, how could a man of that stature let what happened to him happen to him? I think the answer to that question will be found in my message this morning. Because there is a price that we pay if we're not careful by living in Sodom. Difficult for me to get my mind around, but it is true. The Scripture says it was so. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. His father died as they were making their way from their original homeland to the promised land of God. And so Abraham took Lot under his wings and it is evident by this association with Abraham that Lot was greatly blessed because of that connection. When I thought about that last night and this morning, I I thought, you know, it really does matter who you hang out with. It matters who you rub shoulders with on a daily basis. And here, Lot, out of no no good of his own, the only blessing that seemed to come to his life was the association that he had with Abraham. And yet how blessed he was. So blessed, the Bible says, that his herds and his wealth increased under that 
connection and that association with Abraham. God blessed him because of Abraham. But when you look at Lot by himself, Lot, <clears throat> Lot is a study in confusion. When you look at the life of this man, you will see that oftentimes his heart would tell him one thing, but his feet would keep him somewhere else. His head would tell him it's okay when his heart was crying out no. And the war that went on inside of Lot, I am certain, was not an easy one. I feel confident this morning when I tell you that Lot knew what he needed to do. But somehow... Lot never could get around to doing it. There's a lot of folks sitting on church pews this morning and in life that know what to do. But somehow they just never are able to bring themselves to the place of doing it. And when you look at Lot, his life was marked by certain adjectives that when you connect them to a person's life, they have no good outcome. When you read the story of Lot, when he separates from Abraham, there is one word that reoccurs, or there is one thought or theme that reoccurs several times in the next portion of his life, and that word is lingered. He lingered. He hesitated. His life was filled with indecision. His mind and his heart were not in agreement. His heart told him one thing while his mind convinced him of something completely and totally different than what his heart was saying to him. Going out of Sodom, he lingered. Going to the gate, he lingered. When problems arose between Abraham and Lot's Men, instead of him finding a way to resolve it, he hesitated. He waited, and it took Abraham stepping up to do what needed to be done. When he became a resident of Sodom, I am certain that his conscience had to be troubled because the Bible says, but he was vexed. One of the most powerful words in the Greek language to describe a state of complete and utter torment. That means that every waking hour of the day, there was a war going on between the mind and the heart of this man. And every day he lived, he lived with that contention because he had been raised in an atmosphere of righteousness and he had been raised around an altar, though he never built one himself. And we never hear of Lot ever praying for himself. He was brought up under that atmosphere and he grew and was blessed because of the prayers and the altars that Abraham had built in his life that connected to him at some point. When he was told about the destruction of Sodom that was coming, the Bible said that he lingered and the angels had to literally take hold of him. He hesitated. There's no good thought that comes out of hesitation. 
There's nothing redemptive that comes from a lingering, indecisive spirit. It always plays out to a bad end. He was instructed to flee to the mountains even after he left Sodom. But even then, he argued with God and convinced the Lord to let him stay in a small town named Zoar. It seems to me that though Lot journeyed with Abraham, he failed to appreciate the value of Abraham's presence. I believe that I am old enough to say this, but I have been around church long enough to know that there are a lot of folks that have been raised up around an altar that have never grown to love the altar. There are a lot of folks that have been influenced and blessed by somebody else. And if you're not careful, you get so wrapped up in the blessing that come into your life that you never stop and ask, where did that blessing come from? Did it come because of my consecration? Did it come because of my prayer? Did it come because of my altars? Or is it in my life because I've simply been connected to somebody that had an altar and knew how to pray? I want to talk to you about the price of living in Sodom. Many are blessed this morning because of who they have walked with. I was raised by godly parents. They were not perfect parents, but they were godly parents. And there are many blessings that came into my life because of their consecration to God. How easy it would have been for me to have tried to live out my life under that canopy of their blessing. And there are a lot of folks some perhaps even sitting here this morning that have been around an altar all of your life, but you've never taken the time to build your own altar. You've always prayed at somebody else's altar. You've sacrificed at somebody else's altar. You've not taken the time to build your own. The price of living in Sodom. You see, it does matter who you walk with. It does matter who you associate with. And it does matter that you do more than just walk with them. But it seems to me that Lot failed to appreciate the value of Abraham's presence and the value of the fellowship that he had and the value of the influence that was there And not only that, he failed to appreciate the business blessing that had come to his personal life simply because of his association with Abraham. He was blessed because Abraham was blessed. But as time passed and the blessings flowed into his life, he failed to properly appreciate the blessings of righteous fellowship. Righteous fellowship. And so as time went on, the contention rose. I don't know why somebody didn't sit down at the table and say, hey, we can work this out. We, we can make this work. We don't need to separate. Look at what God's done. But Lot never seemed to grasp 
the gravity of what was about to happen in his life. And so Abraham gives him the generous offer. If you choose the right hand, I'll go to the left. If you choose the north, I will go to the south. Just don't let our families be in contention. And so it's amazing to me that Lot not only made the choice that he made, but it's amazing to me how he went about making that choice. It's a life-changing event. Things are never going to be the same in his life. But Lot used nothing of what he had learned in all the time that he was with Abraham. There was no altar built, and there was no prayer made. The Bible said he just lifted up his eyes And he looked. You've got to be careful at what you look at. Because what you look at goes through your mind before it gets to your heart. And if there's a contention between the mind and the heart, many times the mind wins out over the heart because of what you see. Because what you see... It's beautiful. It's well watered. It's the place to be lived in. It's the place to go. It is the place to be. And so, without consideration, he simply looked with his eyes. And he chose the well watered plain of Jordan. Could I stop for just a moment and tell you that you need to be careful what you're looking at? Because what you're looking at right now, what you're focused on right now, could make the difference between victory or defeat. You know, I've counseled a few couples in my lifetime, and my brother could tell you many countless stories. But I want to tell you the greatest tragedy of counseling with people is the fact that most of the time when they come to sit down in your presence, they already have their mind made up and they're just looking for somebody that will give them permission to do what they want to do. Their heart may be telling them something else, but their mind and what they see with their eyes is telling them something different. And so Lot looks out. And he sees, and he makes a judgment based on what he saw. It was so different than what he had been used to. They'd been nomads. They lived in tents, traveled through the desert. I've not been to Israel, but with the pictures that I've seen and the history that I've read about it, it is an arid place in most of the areas. It is not that attractive other than just being rugged, It's dry at many times. The watering places are limited. And yet that's the land that God called them to as a promised land. So when you you put them side by side, the looks of one life compared to the looks of the other life, anybody in their right mind would choose the well-watered plains of Jordan. They were green. They were lush. They were fruitful. They would produce And I somehow feel like in the mind of Lot, he saw money. He saw dollar signs. He saw success and prosperity. 
But could I tell you this morning that the God life may not always look like the best life, but when you get to the end of the story, the God life is going to win out every time. The God life may not look as appealing as the other choice, but I can assure you that the dividends that the God life pay will outweigh whatever you might gain by some well-watered plain. You know, it's not unique to me that when God gave Israel a pattern for a tabernacle, the outside of that tabernacle was to be overlaid with badger skins. Has anybody ever seen a badger skin? It is the most motley, discolored, ugly skin of an animal that you could imagine. And yet that is what God chose to put on the outside. But oh, when you got on the inside, It was different. The beauty, not only in the visible of the gold and the altar and the incense and all of that, but the presence of God that was in that place made you forget how unattractive it might have looked from the outside. I'm here to tell you, family, the God life may not always be the most attractive life. But it is certainly the best life. Amen. 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 I am convinced this morning that if Lot had been able to go back to that day, that moment, when he looked out across those plains, I believe his decision would have been completely different than the one that he made. Perhaps that is part of what vexed him every day was knowing that he chose this. He put himself here. But he didn't just put himself there. He put his family there. He put his kids there. He put his wife there. He put his future there. He put his fortune there. He put everything that should have mattered to him in a compromised situation that when the story was ultimately written, it would have nothing but Ichabod and shame written across its doorpost. You see, when you begin to walk in the ways of Sodom, and that's all that he did. He just, the Bible says, this is the progression. He looked toward the plain, and then he moved in that direction, and he just pitched his tent that way. He didn't move into the city. He didn't go all the way the first day or the second day. I don't even know when that transition took place. He just simply started moving in that direction. And as he moved in that direction, he began to walk in the ways of Sodom. And when you begin to walk in the ways of Sodom, it's not long before you begin to behave like the ways of Sodom. Now, when you speak of Sodom and Gomorrah, most of us think we're speaking about a place. But the reality is, according to Luke, 
When Jesus spoke of the end time, he referred back to the same episode of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he wasn't talking about simply a location. He was talking about a spirit or a temper that would pervade the atmosphere of the world in the end time. And it would be an atmosphere and a temper very much like what was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. When you speak of these twin cities, we associate them with every kind of evil imaginable and every kind of sexual deviancy that you could imagine. And we look at a society and a culture that totally ignored the laws of God. And I would say yes, yes, yes to all of that. But there was more to Sodom and Gomorrah than just sexual immorality. There was more to Sodom than just perversion in that realm and all of the other things that went there according to Ezekiel when God began to show Israel a picture of the land he said again it was like Sodom you are like your sister Sodom and the things that he enumerated to them in that portion were different than what you see in Genesis listen to what he said didn't you walk in their ways and practice their abomination? It was only a short time before you behaved more corruptly than they did. And as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not behaved as you and your daughters have. Now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. The first mention of their Sin was not sexual devancy, but pride. Plenty of bread. Nobody was stressed out over whether they were going to have a meal or not. The economy was good in Sodom. Stock prices were going up. The market was bare. It was bearing out fruit for them in their labors. There was plenty of food and there was a comfortable security is what the scripture says. But they didn't support the poor and the needy and they were haughty. And did detestable things before me. So God said I removed them. Because that's what I saw. I would dare say that if Lot could speak to us today. He would tell us that Sodom was a poor substitute for the presence and the peace of Almighty God. Amen. But there's a lot of folks that are living in Sodom this morning. And there's a price that you pay for living there. And Abraham, he tried, I'm sure, to influence Lot. But when Lot came to making the decision, he seemed to fail to grasp what he needed to help him. You see, here is what happens when one embraces the spirit of Sodom. You have to compromise your faith to do that. Did you hear me? You, if you live in Sodom or you embrace the idea that that Lot, this is what the Lord spoke to me a while ago. He said, Lot saw it differently than Abraham. But Lot, seeing it differently than Abraham, didn't make what he saw better than what Abraham saw. And we live in a world where I've heard it over until ad nausea, I want to throw up. People say, well, you know, it's just a different day. And they see it differently than you do. 
You may see it differently than I do, but that doesn't mean what you see is the right thing to do. And what Lot saw was different than what Abraham saw, but there was a price that came with what he saw and how he viewed life and how he embraced life. And the first thing that he had to do when he got into that place was compromise his faith because something about that city just did not go along with what he had been taught at an altar with Abraham. And, and Lot was willing to exchange, listen to me, he exchanged a nomadic life for a revolutionized city life. You know what I've been told? I've been told I'm a dinosaur. I've even been told by some that I need to get out of the way, that the message that I embrace is too old-fashioned. It's too narrow. It's too bigoted. It's too restricted. God is not that narrow. God, he's not that narrow. No, he's not. He just put a limit on the day, and he put a limit on the night, and he put a limit on the sea, and he put a limit on the space. And you're telling me that I am limited. I'm just here to tell you it might seem old-fashioned to a lot of folks, but I am here to declare that you cannot embrace Sodom. You cannot embrace the ideology of Sodom. You cannot embrace the spirit of that kind of world and not do it without compromise your faith because what you believe about God is going to contradict what they think about themselves and they're more interested in what they think about themselves than they are what God thinks about them and so Lot exchanged his uncle's faith for the taunts and sneers of a morally unclean crowd and you know as strange as that sounds that's being done wholesale in the world in which we live so that we can be accepted and that we don't stand out and we're not so different and we're not so odd and so peculiar. And there is this desire to kind of blend in and mesh with everything around us in our culture. Well, you go right ahead and do that, but there's a price that you're going to pay. And what you're going to need in the end is going to be compromised in your connection and your association with that spirit. Amen. He lived with Abraham, but he never seemed to love the God of Abraham. He never built an altar. His cattle increased, but his spirituality declined in Sodom. He got wealthier. He got richer. He was so blessed that eventually he was moved into the city and in the city he became a counselor. When it says he sat in the gate, that was where the judges and the counselors of the day went to sit and arbitrate the needs and the problems. And it was there that on a daily basis, the daily conversation, the daily lifestyle, the daily carrying on of that city vexed his righteous soul day by day. It was a desire to be important, I don't know, but increasing popularity became to him like a, a, a noose around his neck. It cost him. Sitting in the gate, he heard the filthy topics of the people. He heard things that were contrary to what he believed and what he had been taught, but he never rose up. 
He never spoke out against them. It seemed nothing is mentioned. The Bible does take note that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So that tells me that he did more than just build an ark. But he preached to people every day about the coming of the Lord and the destruction of the world. But Lot, you don't read anywhere in the Word of God where Lot ever rose up and said, Hey, that, that, that contradicts God's law. That is, again, when you live in Sodom and you embrace that spirit, Spirit, you're going to have to compromise your faith to do that. To gain a place, he had to listen to filthy conversation of the wicked. I, I am shocked at what people will do to gain a place in this world, what they will tolerate. You know what I've learned? I've learned that the things in my life that I tolerate, my children have embraced. They don't just tolerate it. They take it into their life. And there's a lot of things that maybe on the outside, they don't seem to be so bad. But the question that I have to ask myself is what direction is that going to point me? And what direction is that going to take me? I'm not going to go there tomorrow or the next day or the next day, but somewhere down the line, I'm going to wind up in a place and I'm going to look around and think, how in the world did my family get here? How in the world did my life get in this place? And it started because I looked with my eyes and not with my heart. And what I let my mind talk me into, though it contradicted everything in my heart, I pushed down what my heart was telling me so I could gain what my flesh desires. He was grieved, but he never did anything to try to escape it. Can you imagine? That just, that just doesn't seem to, I just can't seem to get a grip on it. That he was grieved, but he never put a for sale sign on his house and said, we got to get out of here. You don't read of him going to his children and saying, children, I made a mistake. I should never have brought you here. He was grieved, but his feet could not move. He was grieved, but he could not make himself get. That's what Sodom does to you. It will get you in the place where you are spiritually paralyzed. And although your heart's telling you to do one thing, your mind's telling you to do another. And your body will follow your mind. This is hard to understand. Why could he be so disturbed without making an effort to escape from the circumstances that threatened his own existence? My question to you this morning and to myself is, what are we exposing our faith to because of where we choose to live? What am I exposing my faith to? Because of the direction that I point my life. That's why I need to be careful when I make decisions. That's why when I go, go, go to make decisions that can affect more than just myself, I need to consider more than just the financial aspects of it. I know people that have packed up their clothes and moved all the way across the country for a better pay job and lost their family because that never came into their consideration. I'm not saying that you have to do that. I'm just simply saying that when you make a choice, you need to make sure that it's made at an altar, and it's made under the influence of prayer, not just what you see with your eyes, 
Because your eyes will tell you one thing when your heart is telling you another. The price that you pay for living in Sodom is to compromise your faith. Not only do you compromise your faith, you have to compromise your fellowship. If you're going to live and embrace the spirit of the age, then you're going to have to make allowances for all of that stuff that you know is wrong and make excuses for it. Well, you know, it's them. Whatever they want to do, it's okay. And that is true to some extent. But that doesn't mean I endorse that. And it doesn't mean I keep living in that. I'm telling you this much. If my neighborhood turned into a slut pool tomorrow, there'd be a for sale sign on my front lawn the next day. You say, really, you that stupid to, to sell a house and risk loss. I would rather lose money and sell a house and move to a better neighborhood than to stay in that kind of neighborhood and allow that pervading influence to come into my life or into my family. And that's exactly what happened with Sodom. That's why there's nothing wrong in our culture anymore. That's why there's nothing called sin. There's nothing that's a violation of God's law because we have lived so long in a culture that when we look around, we are letting our mind tell us what our heart is saying is not right and somehow God's got to help me wake you up and wake myself up and say you know what let me get back to an altar let me get back to a prayer room let me get back to the place where I am connected to you in the way that I need to be connected to you so that when I make my decisions and I make my choices Look at what he exchanged for his move. An altar for a seat at the gate. Now, when you look at that, it looks pretty good. A place of influence. That's right, a place of influence. But as far as I know, Lot never one time used his influence to change the atmosphere of Sodom. But Sodom sure used its influence to change Lot. He received a great welcome into the city. He was elevated. He became associated with people that laughed at his hokey God. Told him he needed to get a new God. A more up-to-date, modern, tech-savvy God. And you know, that sound, as, as much as that sounds like, I wouldn't do that. That's exactly what he did. Now, I don't think it happened overnight. I don't think it happened one day, the next day. I think it was a process of time like everything is. You see, there's a lot of stuff. You know, television, there's, uh, television is a great medium. I understand that. When, when television first came out, um, I mean, it, it was pretty clean. When we're looking back, it was. But, you know, back in that day, even then, in the culture of that day, it was still evil. But now we've gotten to a point where it's not just leave it to Beaver and 
it's not Adam and Eve anymore having a family. It's Adam and Steve. As a matter of fact, over the last two years, there has been a concerted effort by the movie industry to stuff down our throat the homosexual and lesbian agenda. And so much so that almost every sitcom, every comedy, every drama plays out that storyline so that you get used to it. And it becomes a subtle thing. You don't just blast it in their face. You just throw a suggestion out there the first few times. You just let the mind do the work. I mean, you, you can put two and two together. Oh, by the way, God's narrow. Let me just remind you, two and two still make four, not five, six, two, one. It's still four. There are limits to life everywhere we live. That doesn't mean that life is limited because there are limits. Those limits are what help me live an unlimited life. Because when I understand them and I work within the parameter of those guidelines, they elevate my life. They bless my life. They increase my life. They make me rich beyond my own comprehension. Just hanging out with people. Just hanging out with people. That's all that Lot did. Just hanging out with people. But they were not helping him be better in his life. Matter of fact, everything they said contradicted what he knew. But he tolerated that. He made room for it. He made allowances. He just kind of said, well, you know, when I come to those words, I just filter them out. When I come to those scenes, I just fast forward. I'm going to mess with your mind right now because that's what needs to be messed with. Because our mind has convinced us in the culture that we live in that what I'm preaching is a narrow, bigoted sermon and it has no place in our culture. But if there's ever a sermon that needed to be preached in our culture, there's a price that you're going to pay for living in Sodom. And you better make sure that if you're going to embrace that spirit... You understand the cost. It's going to cost you your faith. It's going to cost you fellowship. More than that, it's going to cost you your family. Now, my brother may know. I don't know how many daughters Lot had. But it appears that he only had two daughters. Now, this is how perverted that city was. Those two daughters married men. But when the Bible speaks of them, it speaks of them as being virgins. That means they never knew a man, even though they lived with them. So what that marriage was was just a shell, just a pretense. Just a sham to cover up what was really going on behind the scenes. Now, the reason I say that is because when the angels came to bring the message to Lot that this city is about to be destroyed, you need to get your family and get out of here. And he went to his sons-in-laws to try to get them to go with them. They mocked him. He then turns and he offers his daughters to those, those angry men of that city that wanted to know them, that wanted to indulge their lust and their pleasure with them. They wanted them to come out. Lot offered his virgin daughters 
Now, I may be off base. I don't He may have had four daughters. But there's no evidence because when he finally got out, he only had two girls that went out of the city with him. That's how perverted a mind, that's how messed up we can get if we're not careful living in Sodom. We can look around and think, well, it's no big deal. Our kids do what they want to do. They may do what they want to do, but you hear me. Listen to me this morning. There should never be a silence in our world. I don't care how many people embrace it. Somebody needs to stand up. Somebody needs to lift their voice and say, no, God said no, and I am not letting that happen to my family I gotta quit let's let's stand I'm not even through but there's a price that you pay for living in Sodom he was grieved but he wouldn't leave he was grieved but he wouldn't leave he was tormented But he wouldn't get up and move. Why? Because there's an intoxicating influence of the big city over a tent life. Pilgrim is passing through. This world's not my home. What I have is just stuff. It's going to disappear go away, my job. You know what? You know, you know what's amazing? Is that Lot went into Sodom, a rich man. But when Sodom got through, when he left the city, all he left with was his two daughters and his wife. And even his wife did not make it. He didn't take one cow with him. He didn't take one bar of gold with him. He didn't take one coin with him. He didn't take anything but the clothes on his back. That's the price of living in Sodom. It's all veneer. It's all facade. You can have this. This is the good life. This is the way to live. And then once you embrace it, it pulls that away. And what we have left is nothing but a shell. Oh, God, help me this morning. I I don't know. I just... Maybe I am a dinosaur. Maybe I am a man born out of season. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just too old to pastor in this generation. But it could be that God's still needing to hear a voice in this generation. And I've made up my mind. I know I'm not the only one, but I've made up my mind. I'm going to tell you what Sodom is like. It may look good to your eye. But you better make sure of what's on the inside of the heart. Because if you're not careful, Sodom and its spirit and its ideology and its embrace will cost you more than you want to pay. Somehow somebody here today has got to help me. We, we, we've got to get away from Sodom. Amen. We, we've got to get away from this. We've got to push it away. We've got to be willing to stand up in a culture 
that laughs and mocks at everything that we stand for and say, you know what, laugh all you want to, but when it's all said and done, I dare say I will not want to exchange places with where you are. The future of Lot at one point was so bright. But when it was all said and done, all that Lot's future consisted of were two children born out of a drunken stupor from his own daughters named Moab and Ben-Ami who became the father of the Ammonites, the source of trouble for God's people for ages. That's the price of living in Sodom. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just talking out of turn today, but I know that some of you standing here in this place today grew up around an altar. It may not have been your altar, but you grew up around one. You grew up around praying parents. I want to ask you this morning, do you, have your own altar. Because you can't live off of somebody else's altar. And Lot, prove that to me. Somewhere in your life, you have got to build that altar for you and your family. And I am convinced that the reason that a lot of families disintegrate, even though they were raised around church, is because they never took the time to build a personal altar. They were just glad. They were blessed. They come to church at great service. God was good. Their life increased. But they never turned to realize that it really wasn't from the commitments and consecration they had made. It was because of somebody else. Somebody else had prayed that prayer. Reach over and take somebody by the hand. God, help me this morning. I don't even know what to do at this moment. I don't know what to say to your people, Lord. I am overwhelmed. By the spirit, the heaviness, Lord, today of this age, it grieves me. It grieves my heart. It grieves my mind, Lord, to see the direction that people are leaning and the, the things that we're allowing and the things that we're permitting and the things that we're excusing and the things that we're saying is no big deal, God. It really does matter. And I'm just asking you to help us get back to that altar, that place where we can see what really matters, that we can see what counts what we can see, what will make our life better, what will enrich us. It's not whether the world applauds us. It's not whether or not they accommodate us or whether they recognize us. What matters, Lord, is that you approve of my life and that your approval, Lord, will bring blessings and honor and glory and riches and power. God, would you help me tonight or this morning to, to look deep within my own soul to see if there's some area of my life that I've compromised, compromised my faith, I've compromised my family by exposing them to something that I should not, I, I shouldn't expose them to. I, I shouldn't have let it into my own heart. I shouldn't have let it into my own mind. 
Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that's compromised the fellowship of God's people, and they, they, they're hanging out with people that look, they look the part, but they're really not the part. God, would you help us? Would you help me to understand there's a price that's paid for living? There's a cost. Oh, God, help me this morning to get away from Sodom, to get away from that spirit, to get away from that attitude, to get away from that mind. I know that I cannot escape the world, but I can live godly in this present evil world. I can be an overcomer in the midst of this heathen atmosphere in which we now live and the mockery and the ridicule. God, whatever the case might be, I want you to be pleased. I want you to bless my life. I want your hand upon my life. Oh, God, help me. Help me to not fall under the influence of Sodom. Help me to not give in to the pressures of Sodom. Help me, God. As much as I want to be accepted, as much as I want to be appreciated, as much as I want people to acknowledge me, and as much as I want them to give some kind of credence to what I do, it doesn't matter, Lord, if they all applaud me and they all affirm me. If what I do is not pleasing to you, it doesn't matter what man says of me. It doesn't matter what a culture says of me. All that matters is what you say. Oh God, touch our hearts today. Oh God, melt the hardness away from the heart. The callousness that comes with living in a culture that is so vile melt, Lord, the hardness from around my heart. Oh, God, soften my heart today. God, touch me. Stir me. Move me. Help me to get back to an altar. Help me to find a place, Lord, where I can reconnect with you. Help me, God, to find that place where I can call out I can cry out, God, touch my family today. Touch my family. Oh, God. Oh.